You know, folks, when we began this series, we're doing this series, Filled and Overflowing, Understanding the Abundant Life. When we began this series, oh, almost two months ago, I said to you that, you know, the leadership of our church believes very strongly that God wants to do something with us. He has a plan. And that the leadership at that point has been just taking one step after another as God has been revealing it to us until we got to this point where we're at with this series, and that is that we feel very strongly that God wants us as a church, the people of our church, to prepare ourselves for God, what God wants to do next, to prepare our hearts. And so that's what this entire series has been about. This entire series has been about preparing you as the person God wants you to be. And we know from Scripture that what he wants for you, what he wants for me, is that we're filled with the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now again, I told you before, we've stressed that throughout here, It's not the goofy, weird stuff that you see or hear about or maybe even have experienced yourself that we're talking about. I actually think that's a diversion from what God wants when he talks about being filled with the Spirit. Because being filled with the Spirit means that you are now empowered to be who you need to be out there witnessing to other people and sharing the gospel. That's what the reality of being filled with the Spirit is. And so now we've come to a crucial point. Now here's what we've done. We've been on a journey, and God has shown us, yes, there's this thirst in my life. I've been frustrated because what do I do with this? We we come to this realization, I can't do it myself, and, and, and God, here I am. I'm surrendering. And what does that mean? And so we've been talking about that whole issue of surrender, and we've been focusing on, Second Chronicles chapter 7. And from that, we see several different things. So I'm just going to give you a couple of things just for you to realize. We're going to talk about, first of all, getting ready. Getting ready. So here's the first point. The Lord is calling us to get ready for what he is planning to do. The Lord is calling us to get ready for what he is planning to do. You know, I'm going to be honest with you folks. I saw some interesting statistics here in the last couple of weeks about the population of Clearfield County. And the population of Clearfield County in the last 10 years has dropped 10%. Okay? 10%. What does that mean? Well, Well, it just means one out of 10 people aren't here anymore. I understand that. The percentage of people who are workable has dropped, who are working has dropped in our county. The percentage of people who are getting older has increased. Okay? Young people working decreased. Old people who are retired has increased. Now, you know, I'm friends with a lot of pastors in town. When you're 17 years in a community... And the other pastors have been here for 17 and some of them more than 20. You get to know each other. Okay? So I get to interact with them all the time. And here's what we talk about. With the population decreasing, 
First of all, do you realize that Kerwinsville proper itself has 10 churches? Did you know that? Kerwinsville has 10 churches? In fact, folks, do you realize we have more churches than bars in Kerwinsville? Okay. That's interesting, isn't it? Okay. But here's what we say. Our population can't sustain 10 churches. Eventually, churches are going to clo- some churches are going to close their doors. Now, why did I bring that up? What does this have to do with this point that we're talking about here, George? It has everything to do with this point. Because if you know the history of our church, I'm shocked that we haven't closed our doors yet. But for some reason, God has kept us alive. Do you understand what I'm saying? For some reason, we're still here. Why are we still here? Because he has something he wants us to do as a church. Why are you here in this church? Because he has something that he wants you to accomplish and do for him. Did you understand what I'm saying? The Lord is calling us to get ready. So that means you really need to pay attention to what he's wanting from you in your life. I mean, it's easy to just kind of float along, let's go to church, it's Sunday, that's what we're supposed to do. But God's calling you to something so much more. And what I've gathered from you over the last few weeks, especially, I've known this for a while, is that a lot of you want something more out of your Christian life than just attending a church service. You want something more. You want to see God interacting in your life. Well, I'm going to tell you something, God knows that. And he wants something more for you. And he's calling you and I to prepare ourselves. How do we do that? Well, here's the next point. I'm going to give you five things that we need to focus on. It comes out of Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Look with me. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now this verse is often used with reference to America. I'm going to repeat it again to you so you understand. This verse has nothing to do with America. This verse has to do with the people of God. Specifically in Chronicles with Israel. In general, as we look at the scripture and we try to draw from it principles for our lives, the people of God. Now, who's the people of God? The church. We are God's people. So the reality is, is listen to me. Here's what he's telling us to do. We've already looked at one aspect of it. It was actually in verse 13, which we didn't quote, and that is we need to pay attention. We talked about that last week. God's trying to get our attention, so number one, we need to what? Listen. If we're going to come to a place of getting ready for him to do whatever in our lives, you need to listen. You need to listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. Listen to me, folks. I'm going to tell you right now. God is trying to talk to you. He talks to you through the circumstances of what's happening around your life. He talks to you through your word. He talks to you through other Christian brothers and sisters around you. He talks to you. 
He's trying to get your attention. We talked about that last week. Here's the next one. Humility. The next key factor is, is and that's what we're going to focus on today in today's message, is that we need to humble ourselves. Now, when I say that, I immediately, even I get this way, we think of humility in our human interactions with each other. And the fact of the matter is, is we can act humble, but not be humble. Do you know what I'm saying? You ever met somebody who acts humble, but in reality, they're not humble? They're just acting that way? Because humility actually is the absence of pride. I can be very prideful and act humble. But there's something so much more to that. God calls us to humble ourselves. Here's the third thing. Prayer. Prayer. This is more important than you realize. This is more than just praying a blessing over your meal. This is more than just praying whatever you pray in the morning when you get up or when you go to bed. This is more than just asking God for a parking place at Walmart. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's, prayer has to be more than that. Prayer is acting with God because, number one, you're listening. He's trying to get a hold of you. Number two, you realize who you really are. Because you realize that you need him, so you've got to be talking with him. Prayer. Here's the fourth one. Repentance. Repentance is getting real about your sin. This just occurred to me. I can remember, Lori and I have been married 25 years now. And I can remember as a newlywed couple, our attending her home church over in Indiana County. And a preacher coming through who was filling the pulpit. And he got up there and he talked about repentance. And he kind of, to be honest with you, I didn't realize it until it just I realized it right now. He kind of downplayed repentance. He talked about repentance not being needed for salvation. You're right. You don't need to repent. You need to have faith in Jesus for salvation. But what he was doing was is he belittled repentance. But the fact of the matter is is that no matter where you read in the Bible, God calls us to what? Repentance. To turn from our sin and to start doing right. See, if I'm wanting God to fill me with his spirit, if I'm wanting him to do his work in my life and in our church, then I've got to get serious about something in my life. It's the big, fat, ugly, pink gorilla in the room. My sin. My sin that's destroying my life. That's destroying my family. That's wrecking my relationship with God. He calls me not just to listen. He calls me not just to be humble. He calls me not just to pray and seek seek out that relationship with him. He calls me to deal with the junk in my life. And then there's a fifth point here. Waiting. See, 
as I'm listening to him, as he's trying to communicate to me, and trust me, folks, if you go start on this journey, he's going to be communicating to you. Why? Because he's going to be constantly pointing out things to you that you need to deal with in your life. Just when you thought you dealt with one issue that he brought up, he's going to bring up another issue. So this is continual. You continually are humbling yourself before him. You're continually seeking after him and seeking after the fullness of the Spirit in your life. You're repenting. You're, you're recognizing and de- trying to deal with that sin in your life. But then here's the final aspect. This is the one thing that we hate. We hate it. It's called waiting. Waiting. How do I know we hate it? Because I know you don't like going to the doctor's office. Why? Not because of what he's going to say inside, because you got to wait an hour to get in there even though you had an appointment. You had an appointment to wait an hour. How do I know you like hate hating? You go up to McDonald's and you make your order or Burger King or Arby's and they say to you, pull over there. Why? You right now have your smartphone kind of on the side here looking to see when that Amazon order's showing up. Right? And if it's late, whose fault is it? Must be the postal lady delivering it. We hate waiting. But I'm going to tell you something. Isn't it what God calls us to? In fact, when I was talking about this, thinking about this point waiting, my mind went to Acts chapter 1, where he said, and you shall receive power to be my what? Witnesses. But what did they have to do, folks? Wait. How long did they have to wait? Ten days before God's Spirit would come upon them and 2,000 would be added to the church or more. Wow. Waiting. See, this is what we've got to do. We've got to get ready. So let's focus now on this second thing that we're talking about. We've already talked about the listening. Let's focus on the humility now. So what is that? I'm not talking about the way that we act with each other that can be fake. We're talking about truly humbling ourselves before God. And the passage that tells us about that is in James chapter 4. Look with me at verses 1 to 10. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So here's what we're going to do. To understand what humility is, biblical, scriptural humility that we're called to, we're going to look at these 10 verses. We're going to divide it up actually into two sections. We're going to see, first of all, selfishness. We're going to see, can I be honest with you, that we're pretty stinking selfish. Do you realize that? Now, normally I would say, turn to your neighbor right now and tell them you're selfish. But I'm not going to do that because sometimes you'll hear that in a fight with someone else. You're just selfish. The fact of the matter is, you are all selfish. Why do I know that? Because I am. We're all selfish here. If you were born and are breathing air right now, you're selfish. Okay? We're selfish. Selfishness. We're going to look then also at the issue of waking up. So let's talk about selfishness. He's starting out this section on humbling ourselves by talking about where each of us are at. And it blows my mind what he says. Look at what he says. Where do wars and fights come from from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure and war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and coven and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Here's what I want you to see. First of all, what is he talking about here? He's talking about what's going on in each and every one of us. The quest for fulfillment creates problems. The quest for fulfillment creates problems. Let me ask you a question. You ever wanted something so bad? Did you ever want something so bad you would do whatever it takes to get it? Maybe it was a truck. Maybe it was some item, and, and you would be willing to, you know the finances are tight, but you'd be willing to, to just go the extra mile, get yourself in deeper to get it. You just know you've got to have it. You just know you've got to do whatever it takes to get it. See, that's the problem. The problem is, is you get it, then here's what happens. It doesn't bring you the satisfaction you thought it would, right? You ever notice, especially when you go buy a vehicle, before you get a vehicle, you're riding around in your old clunker, starting to rust out after that last winter. You hear the bearing going out in the front. The air conditioner doesn't work well anymore. You just found that out a few weeks ago when it was really hot. And you don't really want to ride around with the window down because the bugs are flying in, hitting you in the face. Right? And there you are, you're driving along, and there's your buddy, Bubba. And Bubba's got that new truck. Boy, look at it just glistening there. He's waxing it. Looks really good. And you're driving along in your old clunker. What makes things worse is, is all of a sudden it breaks down. And you're, it's like eating your wallet, paying to keep your thing going. And guess what? But you know you can't get it. So what do you do? You go and hawk to get one. Then you get it. And if you notice... After about four or five years, that beautiful thing ain't beautiful anymore. It's rusting out too. The air conditioner no longer works in it. 
That satisfaction you had for the moment, can I be honest with you, didn't even last a week. You just got used to it. There was no fulfillment there. Same old hole is in your life, right? If anything, you've created problems for yourself, maybe financially trying to get it. The quest for fulfillment, this is what James is talking about. You do whatever it takes. You even, you enter into conflicts trying to have it. All it does is create problems. Here's the second thing I want you to see here. Our motives are self-focused when we go it alone. What's that talking about? He says, you have not because you ask not. But when you ask, your asking is all about you, so therefore you don't have. Would we ask like that? It's specifically talking about prayer here. I, can I, would I be correct in saying that we're not selfish in our prayers? Is that a true statement? No. We are selfish. We're flat out selfish. Do you know what I'm saying? We're flat out selfish. That's why we pray for the parking spot at Walmart. We want the one right up front so we don't have to walk very far to get into, and then we'll spend the rest of our time walking around for an hour or two in Walmart looking at anything because we don't want to park down at the end. We're selfish. Selfish. We're self-focused. Here's the third thing. The problem intensifies as we find that nothing satisfies. You know, I, I, uh, as a pastor, I, I get to watch human lives, okay? And, and I just find it interesting, especially young couples. Like I've got, a, I've got a young man in my house that's going to be married here and another, he knows exactly how many days in, in, the next, in August. And, uh, you know, and, and just like with most young couples, oh, if we get married, everything will be wonderful. Did you notice who was laughing here? It's all older people who've been married for a while, right? Okay. But what, if, you know what, so you're like, oh, it's going to be great if we just, I could just have that relationship, it'd be great. It's not going to satisfy. If you're looking for your marriage to satisfy you, it's not going to satisfy. In fact, I'll be honest with you, that's the reason why a lot of folks bounce from one marriage to another is because they were wanting something from the marriage that marriage can't bring. Marriage can't bring that. Have you noticed if I get that big buck this year, Oh, I'll be so satisfied with that big buck I get. Yes. Then for some chances you get it. Are you satisfied? Maybe after the first week of showing everybody. But then where's it go? You get it mounted and your wife won't let you put it in the living room. So it ends up in the garage. And you hang stuff off of it. But you're still out there looking for something bigger, something better. Because it'll never be the same. There, there's no fulfillment. Have you, have you, I, I realized this. I was driving the other day and I thought to myself, nothing in this life satisfies. Nothing 
in this life satisfies. If you have not come to that conclusion, you have to come to it. There is nothing perfect. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect house. And we know there's no perfect house. I know there's no perfect house because we're constantly talking about what we need to change. And we're changing stuff we changed years ago now. There's no nothing perfect. Nothing satisfies. That's the problem. This is what James is getting at. We are so focused on trying to bring satisfaction to ourselves that we're doing wrecking havoc in our lives only to find out later nothing brings satisfaction. Nothing. Nothing. So that's when he tells us to wake up. I need to wake up. You need to wake up. That's what 4 through 10 talks about here. It's talking about waking up, people. Here's what he's saying. Look with me. First of all, recognize that you are creating a problem with God. The way you and I are living our lives in our mad pursuit of fulfillment, trying to find it in this world that we live in, is just creating a problem with God. What kind of problem? Well, look at how he says it here. I, I mean, he's pretty brutal. I mean, he starts off, look at how he describes you and I. You would say, well, that's not true of me. Yes, it is. Look at what it says. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, when he talks about adultery here, he's not talking about physical sexual adultery. He's talking about spiritual adultery. He's hearkening back to the Old Testament when God would accuse Israel, the nation, of committing adultery. Adultery with who? By chasing after foreign gods versus worshiping the true God. And what he's saying here is that you and I, in our quest for fulfillment that we can't find here in this world, we're chasing after other gods. You say, I don't worship one God, only God. I don't worship false idols. I'm not bowing down to no false idol. Are you sure? The idols of North America are not made with gold and put on a pedestal. They're your jobs. They're your children. They're your hobbies. They're the size of your bank account. They're the relationships you have. Those are the idols that we're worshiping because we're looking into all of those things to try to find our fulfillment, which we can't, right? Can we find fulfillment in those things, folks? No. He's telling us to wake up and recognize that we are creating a problem with God in our relationship with him. He's not the one doing it. We are. Here's the second thing he says. This blows my mind. Look with me. Verse 5. Or do you not think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Look at what it says. I, it just blows my mind. Do you not think the scripture says in vain, 
in vain. God is trying to communicate something to us. Here's what it is. The Lord is jealously yearning for a relationship with you. Look, God is saying, wake up. You're creating the problem with us. And here's the reality. Verse 5. I'm trying in vain to get your attention and tell you I want to have a relationship with you. All right, listen. Take a moment. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Just kind of hold it. Let it out slowly and let this sink in. God wants a relationship with you. And that's the only place you're going to find fulfillment. You've been chasing after everything else, ambition, desires, looking for that fulfillment that you realize, if you have it, you need to, doesn't bring fulfillment, and God is saying they're in vain, I want to have a relationship with you. Because that's where the fulfillment is. Wake up. It's been there all along. That's what he's saying to us. It's been there all along. Here's the third thing. Get serious about your sin as you seek to draw near to him. Get serious about your sin as you seek to draw near to the Lord. Look at what it says there. Therefore, verse 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Notice what it says next. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What's he talking about resisting the devil? He's talking about resisting the devil's temptation, resisting the devil's lies in your life, about fulfillment being found in something else. Resist that. He'll flee from you, but you get your focus back on him. But getting your focus back on him means you've got to get serious about something. What's that? Cleaning your hands. Oh, so we should all head to the bathroom right now and wash our hands? No, no, no. It's, it's, it's a picture. It's a picture of you besmirched with the sins of your life. And he's saying, cleanse your hands. How do you do that? Confess your sins. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us and cleanse us of our sins. That's what it says. God forgives. He's willing to clean you. But you have to get serious. He wants that relationship with you. Humility, now this is what humility is. Because he says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. This is what biblical humility is. Biblical humility is not acting humble. Biblical humility is an attitude of the heart and how you go to God. And here's how you go to God. 
God, I don't deserve to be here. God, I did what you saw me do. God, I've sinned against you. God, I've been going it alone. I've been trying to find fulfillment in everything else when all along you have been here waiting for the relationship. And I've ignored you, God. God, I'm nothing without you. God, I need you. Forgive me. That's what humility is. Humility is like Jesus in the, when he talks about the two who went up to the temple. One, the Pharisee. The other, the tax collector. The Pharisee says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Thank you that I'm doing all the right stuff. And I'm not like this ugly dude behind me. And the dude behind him is the tax collector who can't even look up to heaven and beats his chest and says, have mercy on me, a sinner, O Lord. That's what humility is. It's being humble before your God, not before other people, because you can be fake in your humility. But the reality is you can't be fake with God, can you? So let's get back to what he's saying here. Listen to me. If my people who are called by my name will what? Humble themselves. What does that mean? Realizing that you've been doing wrong by going and trying to find fulfillment on your own and coming back to him and saying, God, forgive me. I need you. Because I'm not worthy. That's what it is. So as we close our time here, let me ask you a question. This is what I want you to process. Just one question. How's it going? What do you mean, George? What's that question mean? Well, I know that you're doing this because I'm doing this. I'm trying, we're trying to find fulfillment in our lives, apart from God. So the question is, how's it going? And I know the answer, and so do you. Not well. We're trying to find fulfillment apart from God, and it's not going well. It's wrecking havoc in our lives, it's wrecking havoc in our relationships, it's wrecking havoc. How's it going? It's a rhetorical question, isn't it? The answer is obvious, not well. So what do we do? Humble ourselves. And go back and say, I'm wrong, God. I'm wrong. And I need you. That's the next step, folks. It's not just listening. It's humbling. Let me pray for you.